This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, welcome to Sustainable-ish and the first in a special little Sustainable-ish parenting mini-series to celebrate and mark the launch of the Sustainable-ish Guide to Green Parenting, my new book, which is coming out this week. You can find it anywhere you usually buy your books and there's more about what's in it and who it's for in episode 93 if you fancy a listen. Okay, so kicking off this week of parenting specials, I'm really excited to be chatting to Ellie Jackson, who is the author of the Wild Tribe Heroes series of children's books. Now, I have been a huge admirer of Ellie and her books for a long time, but hadn't realised just how much amazing stuff Ellie is doing and how her books aren't just gorgeously illustrated and lovely stories. They're actually being used as a tool for real action on the ground and that children around the world are being inspired to make positive changes because of them. In this episode, we chat about Ellie's home life, her experiences of bringing up a family of sustainable-ish children, the challenges of homeschooling four kids whilst running a business and writing a new book. We also dive into what inspired her to get started to write that first book, where she gets her story ideas from, and the thing that just makes me smile, the impact that the stories have had, that the books have had, the changes that they've created, and how schools and parents can use the series of books to start off some gentle conversations with our kids and really importantly, empower them to take action. Enjoy. Brilliant. Hi, Ellie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's brilliant. I'm really excited to finally meet you virtually. I know. It's yeah. so funny, isn't it, when you you sort of feel like you've known people online and then to actually finally meet. I know, so and I've got your book by my bed. And I keep oh, reading it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, people on the podcast won't be able to see, but you're sat in front of this gorgeous display of all your books and um, some lovely toys and things like that. And we're recording this. It feels like a fairly momentous occasion. It's the last day of homeschooling, fingers crossed. And also the day after World Book Day. So you were just saying you had a mental busy World Book Day. Yes, it was brilliant, actually. So teachers get in touch with me throughout the year and book me in like way in wow. advance. And I say... I don't even know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, yes. but we'll just put it in and see what happens. So it's all kind of, oh, yes, I remembered I fitted you in and yes. got, um, trying to juggle logistics with four children. So I had the wow. day off the childcare yesterday. I was in the office and all these fantastic assemblies and children were in school and some were at home. And so there was everyone kind of listening and interacting. Yeah, it was really good, actually. And it was my new book or my latest book about climate change. So. I hadn't been able to go in. Normally, I go into schools and do assemblies, and of course, I haven't been able to do that since it was released in last August. So this was kind of the first time I'd actually been reading it, and you just kind of fall back in love with it all over again, really. And in some respects, I guess the fact that you know the kids aren't in school and you haven't been able to go in does that mean you've been able to reach more children because you've been able to do it virtually and therefore reach children that aren't within a sort of you know reasonable drivable distance for you yes definitely well schools all around the country so that's kind of opened up a new possibility that actually it is really easy just to do mm. a virtual author session you know I normally I kind of do five schools in one day and I drive to wow. a town and I just race around and speak to like over a thousand children and 
talk about ocean plastic and all this kind of stuff and fire up the community in the town and then they go on and do a whole load of other stuff linked in with that so now yeah I can <laughs> no nowhere's the no limit stopping you. yeah I think um, we've all learned that haven't we over lockdown yeah New so yeah. take us back to the beginning then how how and why did you get started writing children's books and specifically children's books about the environment I mean it's a great question the kids ask me this all the time on the assemblies and things it really starts with everything that I love just drawing me into this one moment where I stood on this beach in Australia and we watched this turtle being released and there was kind of a few hundred people there and they made us form two lines into the sea and they the minute they let her go if turtles had emotions you could just see she was like the sea and she oh. raced towards the sea and then she was just disappeared in a flash and she didn't look back and the whole crowd was cheering I was crying I didn't oh. particularly love turtles especially at this moment but you couldn't help get caught up in this feeling of she'd been in the hospital for a year and suddenly oh. taken out of this box and boom straight back into the ocean and she was just joyous and yeah it was a really amazing occasion but following on from that my four-year-old who's now 11 <laughs> where's that <laughs> one the four-year-old said to me mommy what was wrong with Duffy and why did she need rescuing so we then went back to the turtle hospital on the mainland this was on an island in the great barrier reef and uh, we went back to the hospital and saw all the turtles in the tanks and listened to the keeper talking about the problem with plastic and I didn't fully realize the effect it has on turtles specifically because when they eat the plastic the gases kind of build up in their tummies and they then become so buoyant they can't actually then dive down to yeah. feed so it's called floater syndrome. So this really struck home with my four-year-old. And then we're living on a tropical island, surrounded by beaches. Every time we're on the beach, she's, mommy, I'm saving a turtle. And she's running around and she's picking up the rubbish. And we couldn't, we weren't allowed to leave the beach until every single piece had gone. because She didn't want to risk a turtle's life. So I just thought, what a really powerful kind of story to share. Mm. And it came, the inspiration came from my children. It came from my background of environmental science and my background of teaching and it just, and my love of writing and just pulled everything together. And so, yeah, this is the story of Duffy's lucky escape. It's true. Um, we saw it all with our own eyes. So wow. that's where it started. <laughs> and then it's grown legs and it's gone on um, now into my sixth and seventh book getting started on. So I've been very lucky. Me. Yeah. So you used to be a teacher, did you? Yes, geography teacher. Oh, okay. And what were you doing living on a tropical island? Ah, uh, well, you know, <laughs> as you do, it was, uh, we'd, my husband and I loved adventure and traveling. And so when we, we went out before children to Australia and just loved the country and the people and the culture and everything. I then came back to the UK and trained to become a teacher. And then we moved out there wow. and we had, we had nine years out there and I still, we're back in the UK now and I, I really miss it, but I loved down here as well, so you <laughs> feel torn. It, it was just, it was, we were very lucky. My husband had a job where he could work wherever and we just saw this opportunity to have a year on this tropical island. And I just thought, do you know what? I've got to take that now before the children start school. Yes. And we get drawn into the school run and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we had this freedom. We didn't wear shoes for a year. You know, it was a very unreal existence. And I bet. Yeah. I think we were very fortunate to have it. So that first book, Duffy's Lucky Escape. So I can't understand how you go from like having that experience and then I want to write a book. And a lot of people want to write, you know, it's, it's one of the things that a lot of people say is, oh, I'd love to write a book. Actually making it happen and having that book in your hand and you've self-published it as well, which I just think is amazing. So how, how does that whole process go? How do you make that happen? So I was, we were, came back to the UK for a holiday with my children. We were traveling around and we had this caravan and we were driving through the night from London to Edinburgh at about 50 miles an hour. It was so slow yeah. and all my family were asleep. I was the driver and my children were terrible sleepers. And I knew if I made a single sound, I couldn't even have yes. the radio on. I just, they'd have woken up. It would have been hell. And um, so I had seven hours and I was like, oh everyone's God. asleep. What do I do? And I just was thinking, write about something, you know, what can we do? You know, you're a mum of three, small children, you haven't got much time. How about we write a story? And then I just kept coming back, write about something, you know. And I just remembered this story of the turtle on the beach. I thought, brilliant. So the next morning we got parked up the caravan and I got out my kids' crayons and I drew all the images of Duffy. And then I was stuck really for nine months because I didn't have an illustrator. I mean, you couldn't, 
I couldn't draw for anything. So right. And then it was just pure luck again. I was in this mother's meeting with my friends and we'd all known each other since our babies were born. So the, our babies were about nine months older. They were just all crawling around on the mat. And I said to my friend, I said, oh, I've written this children's story. I really need to find an illustrator. And she turned around and she said, I'm an illustrator. I've always <laughs> wanted to do a children's story. And she showed me a picture of, I think it was a lobster that she'd drawn. And it was just this very detailed scientific lobster. And I just was like, oh, she's the one. I found wow. her. And um, I just thought it's typical of mums. There we were. We'd known each other for nine months. And all we talked about was the babies. <laughs> I had no clue. What here did. in the midst of this other, there's only eight of us in the group, was the perfect match for me. I mean, it was just talk about it yeah. was meant to be. Yeah. Amazing. And so then I handed her my kids, my drawing with the crayons. And she turned them into Duffy. So it was just, yeah, absolute perfect. I love Duffy. It's my favourite illustration. So I've got two of your gorgeous books here. I've got Duffy's Lucky Escape and I've got Marley's Tangled Tale. Give us a rough outline of the story of Duffy. Well, Duffy, very simply, there she is living in a tropical island, more than happy to eat her lovely jellyfish that she loves. And um, unfortunately, she gets this big storm comes along and she gets displaced so moved away from her kind of sheltered coral reef she's in a world she doesn't recognize it's dark it's gloomy and now turtles have got very poor eyesight so particularly in murky waters she's just eating food that she thinks oh it's a floating blob I'll have a mm -hmm. bit of that another floating blob and unfortunately I mean I saw a terrible post about a tiny baby turtle with like 50 bits of microplastic in it so they're they're eating it all the time mm. Um, the, the problem with turtles is they've got a, a kind of a one-way throat. So they've been around since dinosaurs and their throats are full of spines, soft kind of spines. Right, it yeah. doesn't hurt them because when slippery food goes in, it's then trapped. It can't right. come out. So they can't regurgitate that plastic yeah. that they swallow. So it builds up in their tummies. So she's stuck floating and they're often, then they start to grow green seaweed on the back of their shells because they're spending too much time Oh, in the wow. sunlight yeah so fishermen they see these floating turtles they're kind of swimming in a weird way on the oh. surface and they know that that's needs rescuing and so the fishermen rescue duffy they take her to the turtle hospital she's there for about a year she's probably lost about three or four stone in weight wow and you've got to build it back up she's in a blue tank just a very small tank for about four or five months and then they move her into the aquarium with all the other fish and the animals and then she's released and it's just this joyous moment where she's back to her home and she's happy and she's free and off she goes. And then in the back of the book, there's ideas, there's facts about turtles and then there's ideas on what the children can do to help. And the whole point of this book is it's positive and yes, this has happened, but then she's happy and this is what we do to help. Yeah. Gives them rules on what how to do a beach clean safely. Wow. It's kind of giving those children that, hope that there's something they can do and the positivity and then they can then spread that with their family and friends yeah so it's actually you, a really a really simple way of, of helping change attitudes really so and you said earlier about you know normally for world book day you'd go and you'd do five schools in an area and then they I can't remember the phrasing you use but something about they go and then sort of activate the community yeah. what are some of the actions or impacts that you've seen as a as a result of going in and doing a talk at a school well it could be something really simple like um five-year-old the parents messaged me and said oh my five-year-old was shopping with his granny granny went to get some um ziploc bags from the shelf the five-year-old said no granny we don't use those that's single-use plastic and granny was horrified and then kind of okay so it's simple conversations like that mm. day to day but then also collectively it's a much bigger role so you imagine every school in a town has got the books and the schools are working on it then between all those children they've got links to probably every single business yeah. so you get some local press involved the children are doing beach cleans and litter picks which they is fun my yeah. goodness I've done so many beach cleans with children and they've you've never seen them run around trying yeah. to tidy up as much as if my children could tidy up like yes. that at home <laughs> it would be joy but they're digging in the dirt, they're digging in the sand and they're coming up. Is, is this plastic? Some of these children have never been to the beach before wow. and they're coming up to me with seaweed going, is this plastic? And I'm thinking, my goodness, but wow. this yeah. is their first experience of the sea yeah. at the beach and they're wanting to clean it up. Mm. You know, there was no sandcastle digging or 
tunnel building. They're, they're racing around trying to find this plastic. So that's really exciting. And obviously that translates to inland schools. It doesn't have to mm, be people. Yes. But the most important thing I think they're doing is letter writing and campaigning and wow. posters and actually realising they have a voice. So mm. my local schools here all wrote letters to the local restaurants and cafes. We're quite a high tourist town where I live in Cornwall. So they'd all written letters. I then went in a few weeks later and spoke to some of the cafe owners and said, hello, I'm here to talk to you about plastic straws. And they said, right, let me stop you there. I got a letter from an eight-year-old. It made me feel so bad. I've already switched to paper. So it's those kind of interactions that the children are giving the adults the moral responsibility. They say, oh, like a wake-up call, if you like. Oh, yeah, we'd better do something about that. That's so powerful, isn't it? Because, and that, you saying, oh, you know, the five-year-old's shopping with granny. If I sort of said to my mother-in-law, oh, do you know what, you really ought to, or I probably wouldn't even say that to my mother-in-law or um, my mum when she was alive, because I would have felt, oh God, I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. We have that sort of, you know, those social constraints, don't we? And that we don't want to, we don't want that discomfort, that uncomfortable conversation. Whereas kids probably are, you know, a lot of the time aren't aware of that and will just come out and say these things because they're very much more, this is right, this is wrong, you should not be doing that. And as adults, you can't really argue with that, can you? And and getting that wake-up call from a child, exactly. I think, is often so much more powerful. Exactly. And none of us like to be told what to do, but yes. especially by another adult. My yes. goodness. But a child, especially your own children, suddenly, oh, that's fine. Mm. Um, so this is where the value, I think, of the books are. It's kind of, you can't show the children the reality. You know, I had a teacher, I went in to do an assembly and she said, oh we're so excited you're here I showed all the children the video of the turtle with the straw coming out of its nose and the blood and they all started crying and I thought but they're five why don't you show them that you know they're horrific Mm. images for us as adults and you just cannot show them this is these are their best loved animals Mm. you know I went to the aquarium with my children and suddenly the turtle quit and everyone's talking about the turtles coming and they're all rushing to the window Mm. to have a look at the turtle so in a picture book format with true but happy endings and they can see the reality but it's in a familiar yeah. um, story type of way I think it's really really important and actually the books I think have reached over one and a half million children now around no way. yeah around Ellie, that is amazing. yeah yeah I want to do more and I'm just I've got four children myself it's how hard. proud but, must yeah you be? it is fantastic so I don't know if you know the Red Nose campaign that was recently. So that's my local school, one of my local schools. I don't claim all responsibility because they live very close to the beach. They've got a fantastic beach cleaning support network that that go around there. But I also went into the school and did the Duffy Assembly and they all fired up. And off the back of that and already what they knew about ocean plastic. And I think one of the parents is heavily involved in that. They've then gone on to start this campaign with Red Noses. So it's the children to actually see they can make a difference, I think is really important for their self-confidence and their Definitely. belief that things will get better. You know, Definitely. there's a lot of um, eco-anxiety now and it's really important not to put that onto children. I don't want them to feel any way pressure that they're the saviors of the world. Yes. It's all on them. Yes. Those little conversations, I think, are key to, to making things change. And you know, it's a journey, isn't it? You know, from your writing, you can't just say, right, that's it. We're going to just be perfect mm. from day one. Yeah. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. You start small and little steps and lead, you, you slowly work your way along the list of things you need to do to, to improve. So I think, you know, a book like yours is, is definitely what's needed to give those adults the kind of roadmap of where they can be going with it. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. The, so the red nose uh, thing for people who haven't seen it, the, these children at the school didn't they? Was it last year? Wrote to to Comic Relief and said, you know, love love what you're doing, and obviously a really valuable charity. But actually, these red noses are single use plastic. They break. They, you know, this isn't really that great, is it? Which I think you know was a point a lot of us were 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 arriving at, wasn't it? And I still find it really frustrating that a charity has to sell something to generate revenue why can't we all just give them a quid instead of having to give them a quid to buy a nose or two quid or however much it is at the yeah. moment but well, the um, children started painting the noses on so they said we'll paint the noses on and then still give you a pound yeah and then off the back of that it grew they wrote to David Attenborough they got his support you know it was this whole the national media picked up on it and it was just an obvious thing I mean yeah. you're right why do we need to buy this stuff so 
what's happened this year? I think they're made from sugarcane yeah. uh, byproduct. So, so they'll biodegrade. I mean, I think that that just, so much of what you're saying is relevant, not only to our children, but is relevant to us as well as adults. And this idea that these, sub these subjects, these topics are really overwhelming. It's really easy to, to watch, as you said, some of those videos or even watch some of the Attenborough things and feel like, oh my God, it's, it's too much, it's too big, it's too late. But actually to recognize that the power that we have, not only in those actions, the physical things that we can do, the choices we can make, but also that, that power of our voices in writing letters, sending tweets, you know, dropping people an email, that is so powerful, isn't it? And if we can, not only if we can recognize that as, as grown-ups, but if we can bring our children up to recognize that, I think that's huge, isn't it? Definitely. And you imagine, you know, if a three or four-year-old is getting these messages, these gentle messages from an early age, it's just then become second nature to them. Mm. It doesn't even, it's not even a problem to think, oh, right, remember my bags for life. It's, mm. it's just ingrained into them now, you know, whereas I still forget sometimes and yes. I end up carrying everything and then I drop thing and I just like <laughs> but um all those things if they if you if you teach teenagers the reality which they're able to to have a look at some of the the real images and things it's actually already almost kind of too late because they've already formed some of their own habits and personal mm -hmm. differences and things so it's much harder for them to break and change those habits whereas if yeah. you get if you reach children at a very young age you know Duffy's able to go for a two and three year old my little daughter was reading it from about 14 months old and we just looked at pictures and you could say Duffy happy Duffy sad Duffy yeah. lost and she was then I think she didn't start walking until she was about 17 months old and one of the first things she did was she went and she found some she said mummy bubbish Duffy bit oh. I was just like oh my gosh I shouldn't expect anything less of course from my own <laughs> child but I thought if a 17 month old mm. could understand this then it's just second nature and she's four now and she's still she was walking yesterday she said mummy rubbish and she still points it out Aww. for me I have to pick it up <laughs> I don't always want to pick it up no. but I have to. <laughs> yeah. so talk to us about what are the other books how many have you got six did you say six so or I've seven? got five printed and one is finally my goodness going to the printers today it wow. has been a mission with four children at home to oh get it God. ready so oh I've got yeah the the turtle is ocean plastic the the puffin is balloon releases another true story the the whale is fishing nets those terrible fishing nets mm. that cause so much devastation then I went into orangutans with palm oil and deforestation polar bear with climate change and the new book dun, 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 only renounced this a couple of days ago is a koala and bushfires and climate change so I'm really excited about this one but the irony is it's a book about fires and my husband's a fireman and it's been delayed because he's been called out on so many fires in the last few days really wow. yeah. normally he might get one or two a week and they're you know we live in a very quiet area of Cornwall and it's a smoke alarm gone off or um. you know a chimney fire or something it's this time it's been eight hours he's been out with a massive barn fire or, or 10 hours wow. with a, a mansion that was burnt down oh which goodness. is very sad so I've just thought here's the book about fire delayed by yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. you want about cake next time <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so how do you decide what you're going to write about well that's the sad thing isn't it really about mm. the environment there's so many different things I, I do have people write in and say um can you write a book about yeah I, think, oh, I don't think that's a suitable subject yes. so cigarette butts was one right <laughs> thought don't know how I can make yeah. that fun does that not just come under the umbrella of litter mm. uh, wet wipes someone said can you mind yeah. about wet wipes I thought mm, that's going to be tough yes um so normally I mean my background's environmental science anyway so I do I've always known of these issues around normally I have to say social media plays a big part and I can mm. see I start seeing more posts like the palm oil one yes I was very happy. I knew exactly all about ocean plastic. I felt really confident in that. And then suddenly I started seeing palm oil cropping up. And I thought, oh God, not, I can't think about another mm. terrible thing. And then it started coming up more and more. And I thought, oh, actually it is. And I did some research. I thought, oh, wow, this really is a massive issue here. Let's, mm. um, let's do something about it. And then I saw the video of the orangutan 
running yes. running along and fighting the bulldozer and I thought yeah. right okay let's go with this yeah so I wrote that in the August no it's July I think and then in December they had that Iceland mm. in the book so I was kind of like right it's definitely let's go for it so but the, the hardest part I mean the, the writing I can write a book in a day you know wow. that, that's it takes a long time then to edit it but the yes. general idea of it I can get it it's only it's nothing to what you've written you know <laughs> I think it's only a thousand words I could probably write several books in a day but um the research obviously takes yeah a but yes the, the writing of the story is actually the easy part for me the, the illustrations take about four to six months to do wow and I'll, sh- I'll show you one here this is what happens this is my <laughs> illustration <laughs> so Ellie's showing us for the people on the podcast Ellie's showing us this very childlike yeah I guess yeah 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 um drawing and it's a pencil and a piece of A4 paper and um so basically you're sort of showing the illustrator basically what you want and where you want it I, and then they everything yeah I have to say the illustrators probably don't like working with me because I'm very specific about where and how things should go even to the point of you know one of the one of the illustrators there's a there's a snake in this particular one and she'd drawn it quite big and quite large I thought no we Let's make that smaller, move it to the centre of the page. So anyone flicking through who's scared of snakes, yeah, it's not going to jump out at them. So I really, everything is in mind to make this book as gentle um, as possible. I really don't want any child to be, mummy, this is terrible. Mm. So I think that's very important for me to get the balance right, that this is a happy story in the the end. And and that they love this creature and they want to do what they can to help it. Uh, it's like having a baby, actually. You know, you, you work on this thing for kind of nine months yeah. or a year and then you suddenly see these illustrations and it brings your character to life and, and to you life. fall in love with them. You know, it's getting harder and harder to think of names as well. That's the <laughs> other thing. <laughs> you know, it's like the children, the more children you have. <laughs> so you've, you've said, you know, your four-year-old is really good at sort of picking up litter and things like that. How engaged are your children around this because I found like mine are 12 and 9 and they're aware and they you know we go on litter picks and but they're not you know I suggested to them do you want to go on the school strikes when they were up and running and they just sort of looked at me like I was a bit mad and they're not you know they're not the ones sort of asking school to form an eco committee and they're not kind of massively into it I would say how how are your kids I think you're right I don't want to force it on them. Mm. They enjoy litter picking to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Not again, mummy, really? Yeah. <laughs> with lockdown recently, I've been doing long walks from home with them. You know, even the four year old will do six miles or so. Oh, God. And so we'll be out all day. So I just take a litter picker along to give me something to do. Mm. Um, and then if I've partic- picked a particularly bad route, I think I've picked up, picked eight bags of litter <gasps> the other day. What They helped me for a bit, they were playing for a bit, you know, they drop in and out. But then you've um, got to carry it all back with you. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I just put it in bins that I found. I do as you go well done. That's a great idea, yeah. But um, it was terrible, actually. Yeah, you know, I really enjoy litter picking. It makes me feel good. I look out and I think that's bits cleaned now. You see a visible difference, don't you? And, and so much of the things that we do around sort of climate action, you don't really see a tangible difference, but litter picking you do, don't you? I think you're right, absolutely. But yeah, coming back to the children, what they're involved with, they're actually more involved with the business side of things so I'll ask their opinion kids do you like this you know what what about this color how do you like that do you think mm. we should add this in they also help me like I'm sitting here surrounded by 20,000 books outside of the screen I've got two offices full of books <laughs> so they'll help me move books you know they'll help me with the deliveries they'll help load up the car to go to the post office wow. those kind of things they're very practical they're also very forgiving when I get stressed because I do get stressed kind of it washes over them now um but so in that way they're very supportive of me with what I do but they're you're right they're not activists if Mm. you like they'll make comments and say mummy that person shouldn't be doing that or something but I wouldn't push them down that direction I don't know if that's because I'm not used to that with children I don't know uh I think it's difficult isn't it because they like yeah and and this is something I um you know I want to dive into you a bit with but like I feel quite strongly that they need to come to this in their own time and in their own way because as you've said it's 
it's hugely overwhelming and as anxious as I feel and as concerned as I might be about sort of the future and what it holds I feel like it's not it's almost you know for me to force that upon them is kind of robbing them almost of, of their childhoods yeah. and you know I think it's it's a really difficult balance to strike isn't it I think so and I think this is why schools have such um, great input in this because collectively like the red-nosed children collectively doing something then it's mm. fun look at what we've done we've worked together we've achieved this I think for a child to, to do it off their own bat is really impressive yeah. um, and there's probably only a very few children you, you know I mean Greta's older but she's just incredible right place right time right person and mm. right passion and what she started everyone was just waiting for someone like her they could rally behind and to achieve what she's achieved in, yeah. in raising awareness and everything but there's very few people that will start something like that by themselves but I do see it regularly you know some these children they want to do a five-hour dance-a-thon to raise money to save wow. trees or something you know they will there are amazing children who want to do this and there's so many of them on Facebook these little children I've watched them grow up almost oh. over the last four or five years and what they've started in their communities litter picking teams you know I think there's one called the little pickers which I thought was quite clever <laughs> but just they're really passionate and out they go and their little friends come with them they've got high-vis jackets and litter pickers and they do such good they win awards and everything wow. and they are really special kind of children who do that I think for the, the vast majority, you're right. We, if, the, if that's what they want to do, fantastic. If the, all they're happy with doing is their own hmm. family and school and what they can do individually, then that equally is just as important because we need everyone doing yes, that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So how do we get started having these conversations with our children? Because it's it's big and it's overwhelming for us and as you exactly as you say you know with the books it's really important that we don't overwhelm we don't scare so sometimes I think maybe we back away from having these conversations because we don't know the answers and we don't know quite what to say so what's a great obviously a great starting point is getting a getting a book like getting your book and sitting down and reading it with the children I actually think so because you're then taking the pressure off you so some of these changes the children actually don't want to do you know why would I want to give up my little fruit drink with a straw when I really enjoy it I don't yeah. actually want to do that but if you can take the onus off you as big bad mummy coming in and saying mm. right we're never getting these anymore mummy I don't you're horrible yes, yes you know so mean. yeah you read the book and say oh now what could we do around the house that might change what do you think how do you think this how can we help Duffy and mm. actually then the children you put it onto them they actually want to make the yes. difference. they want to make the changes so over the years you know I've started making changes in the house and to explain to young children why we're doing it, you have to say, oh, it's to help Duffy. And they're like, okay, fine. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so, you know, beeswax wraps, plastic-free lunchboxes, all this stuff that's just crept in over the year, which to me now just seems normal. It was mm. a big deal to them when they first started. Mummy, why am I the only one who doesn't have yes. and chocolate in my lunchbox? Why do I always have to have homemade stuff? Yes. I don't always do homemade stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what they feel like, you know, and when you can say oh it's to help Duffy that just kind of defers it off you as a parent I haven't got time to go into it necessarily yeah it, it just um it puts it into context for them at a young age so Definitely. It, it's easy I mean I don't watch the news with the children so mm. they don't they're not necessarily clued in on what's going on I think it's it's quite difficult if you have the tv on the background sometimes yes. things flash up and you think oh shouldn't really be seeing that yeah they? yeah they tend not to have that stuff on so in terms of starting these conversations, if you don't have the books, I think it's just day by day, really, just little incidental conversations that you have. Um, you can just embrace it as part of your family's kind of ethos. I, mm. Actually, the hardest person I've found to convince is my husband. And maybe I him, hear that so much. <laughs> your book to read, Jen. Yes. He'd be standing on the beach on a piece of rubbish and not notice. I said, how? You stood on top of it. He said, I don't even... I'm six foot two. He said, I don't even see anything like by my feet. I just look out. That's like we, we were walking yesterday and there was like, you know, someone's dog had pooed like sequentially along the pavement. And I was like, move out. Do you not like, are you not even looking where your feet are going? And he was like, no, why would I be looking where my feet are going? Exactly. I'm looking. My husband calls for the dog. Pippa, Pippa. I said, she sat right next to you. He just, 
anyway, he's, he is coming around more and more. And he's actually now some of the biggest advocates for things. He said, here is an example of something that's actually better than what was there before. So, yeah, you know, safety razors, the, the metal oh, yeah. razors. Yeah. You know, he didn't want one. He said, no, I'm fine with what I've got. I got him one. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, it's amazing. I wish I'd done this. Just think, oh, why is it a battle with you? Over yes. All? Yeah, 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 definitely. So we've talked a lot about litter picking, and I think because that's very local, very tangible, very visible, very um, the children can see their impact, and I think it's a nice conversation opener around plastic and rubbish and how it gets there and where it ends up and the impacts it can have and things. Sort of some of the the tips and ideas that I've come across, you know, with kids are things, you know, very much keep it local, stuff that they can relate to, nurturing a love of nature are those sort of things that you do with yours definitely 100 you know i'm if i stay in my house i have to tidy it up and do job if i get out i can relax and enjoy and be with the children so we try and get out as much as possible in fact my children are so flipping ungrateful I'm like kids let's go to the beach oh do we have to <laughs> <laughs> said yes we do let's get out and go but yes, there's, I mean, I think during lockdown, I think there's been a focus on getting out more, walking mm. from the front door. So hopefully, you know, the school run, we need to see more people ditching their cars for the school run if they can and, mm. and um, trying to walk the children. It's such a nice start to the day. My goodness, to walk your children to school. Mm. If you're lucky enough to live close enough, I mean, that is bundling four kids in the car yeah I don't want to sit next to him all of that it's just <laughs> gone you just walk to school enjoy the morning yeah they can walk ahead of you or behind you they don't have to be all confined in the car yeah so I think that's actually really good for all of us mental health and everything you know just that exercise every morning gets them a bit of energy we have to walk up 78 steps to get up to our oh, school wow. it's up a steep hill it's Cornwall there's no flat yeah <laughs> So those things, you know, walking to school is a great thing. Plastic-free lunchboxes, that's another thing that's easily, easy for the children to do. Mm. And talk to your school about this. I know a lot of schools have waste-free Wednesday or oh, wow. things like that, where the whole school every week on a Wednesday is plastic-free, basically. Mm. So if other schools can do it, why can't yours? You know, all it takes is one person to open that conversation up with the head teacher. You know, even better if it comes from your child I guess yeah, I was, I was that, yeah sorry that's what I meant the child yeah. yeah 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 and I was trying to say to my kids we'd watched the, the latest David Attenborough and I think the last one is about humans and their impact and and you know and I sort of said to them this is going to be quite difficult yeah. watch and we watched it and and they were quite upset afterwards and and trying to sort of say to my my eldest you know he's and it's difficult because he's year seven at a new school and things but trying to say look a letter or an email coming from you is going to be so much more powerful than me writing a letter you know because they they because of covid they've been having disposable stuff with hot lunches and things and you know and i'm there kind of wincing and not wanting to be that parent of a new child and and uh, things that yeah. you know it's sort of trying to say to him look if you could write this email or whatever that they would probably take far more notice of that than they would definitely i think that's where the ethos from the books comes from if you get a primary school in a whole town if you got you know 2,000 children across the community yeah. learning about it. When they feed into secondary school, their whole peer groups had that same experience. Mm. So soon, you know, people who litter in that yes. peer group will be not ostracised, but it's not going to yes. be looked on as this is, it's not the done thing to do. It's like a society kind of relearning. I know there used to be a lot of campaigns, don't throw litter and things. Mm. I, I think now we've reached the tipping point. There's so much packaging. There's so much yes. waste and so many opportunities for it to come out of the, the waste system. You know, mm. I've driven behind recycling bins and, uh, oh, recycling wow, yeah. and it's all just flying out. You can't, yeah. it's on a narrow country lanes, you can't overtake them to tell them. Yes. And you think this is the very thing that's supposed to be saving this from happening and you're just contributing it to all. So, yeah. But yes, I think if you get, it's really important the teenagers are getting this education as well and it's it's feeding in from building on mm. what they've already learned in primary school yeah. yeah and I thought as well that bit you said that really powerful about that you know if you take all the kids in all the primary schools across the community that they will have links into all all the businesses all the 
And I think that's something that's really important for us to remember as well, that we aren't this kind of island of us and our family, that we've got links with schools and we've got links with brownie groups or we've got links with obviously our workplace and there's things that we can do in that workplace. And this is how these kind of ripples spread out is us just by sort of asking these questions and starting these, being a bit brave sometimes and starting these conversations. But that's that's how we can um, Definitely. widen our impact. You've got a child saying, oh, you know, Auntie Kirsty, why has your cafe still got these plastic straws? And I think plastic straws have been banned now anyway, mm. but why have they got this, that or the other? And, you know, then you, you open that conversation up and you you say about us as adults being brave enough to start it, whereas I think the children are already, they're yeah. not even needing to be brave. No. As you say, they're just saying what they see and suddenly, oh, it jolts at the auntie to make a difference. So it was not going to happen overnight, of course, and it's a process. You know, I went into a pub a few years ago and said right let's talk about plastic straws he said yeah I'm totally on board definitely going to get paper straws I just need to get rid of the 7,000 plastic straws that I already have and I was like oh god <laughs> you know but some people are finding that at home aren't they I, I get people email me and say I before I knew better so I've got uh, I mean we've still got pots of glitter at home and um you know glitter we sort of uh are finding you know it's this microplastic and actually it's really bad yeah. and so it's like and and people who've still got you know drawers of plastic straws and things like what what do you what is the best thing to do with it it's really hard to know isn't it I think the best thing is always use what you've already got mm. glitter I don't know that's a whole separate thing but <laughs> you know I also see people on on social media saying right I just want to go out and buy all these you know glass tubs or something yes I want to get rid of all my plastic ones and get over the glass to be environmentally friendly and we just everyone always says please reuse what you've got yes. if you've already got plastic just use it for its life yeah, 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 and when definitely. it's when it's finished it's useful life then replace with something different mm. I think the important thing and it's I know it's something you're always um, advocating is you just take it small small steps yeah, yeah, and yeah. don't beat yourself up about it you know this, we can't all be 100% perfect and I don't think anyone ever will I actually met one of the scientists who was developing plastic in the 50s wow and he came up to me I was running a beach stool or a beach clean he said I feel I really need to apologize for what we scientists did you know and wow. I said well you didn't know he said yeah. he said there's absolutely no way none of the scientists that he was working on could ever have foreseen plastic being used in the way that it is now mm. you know they were developing it as a tough lightweight for use in cars you know hard hats, medical, all that stuff, which is brilliant for. They couldn't envisage plastic, disposable, everything. You know, that yeah. just wasn't on their, in their field of imagination. So I don't think we can, it's not anti-plastic, is it? It's anti-single single use, use. anti-over-excess packaging and all this kind of stuff. So just making simple consumer choices really as best we can. Yeah. If you have to go to the supermarket and buy it all pre-packaged and might take you a while to realize there's a different way of doing it but don't feel bad personally I don't know what you think Ellie but I think plastic around food is probably one of the hardest things to tackle and actually maybe have a look at the bathroom or look at something you know there, there are some easier places to start definitely with with plastic so where can we find your books are they in bookshops do we have to come and order them from you they're all over the place actually Jen it's surprising and um there's 20,000 in your house so we can do a little yeah. drive by and you can <laughs> if you buy from me direct then I can sign and dedicate them wow. a lot of my stockists do have signed books as well so mm -hmm. if they're not there just ask because Waterstones will order them in you oh, know wow. bookshops will order them in I mean I'm with all the major distributors um it's just a case of going out there and asking for it but Otherwise, you can have a look on my website, wildtribeheroes.com, uh, or Facebook, it's Wild Tribe Heroes. I've actually been very lucky because over the last year, with lockdowns and everything closing, my books are in a lot of these zero waste and plastic mm. free shops, which have been able to stay open because yes. they also sell food. So if you live next to or near to a local um, farm shop or a zero waste yes. or plastic free and they don't have the books, please ask them to get in touch because it's really easy um, for me to send them out some books. Brilliant. And book. What a gorgeous present, I think. You know, if if you're, it's always difficult when, you know, if you haven't got kids, I just think this would be a gorgeous present for, you know, a, a niece or a nephew or a whatever. Um, but also, you know, if your kids are going to a birthday party and you're like, oh, what can I buy that isn't kind of 
plastic tag. It's just, it's a, it's a gorgeous story to read and you never know what sort of little messages and um, actions will come out of it. So yeah, I think we often struggle with what we can buy for kids and that sort of thing, but it'd be an absolutely gorgeous present for people to get. I think books in any sense are mm. always a winner, aren't they? They just, they get loved over and over and over again, you know. I tend to buy all my kids' toys secondhand. Yes. And um, within a few hours, they've had enough of them on something yeah. else. With books, they can keep revisiting. You know, the older ones still love reading the younger book. You yes. know, the younger books to the younger children. So it's and it's recyclable. It's plastic yeah. free. It's all of that kind of stuff that ties in well. Amazing. Um, and especially if you pair it with like a litter picker or something, yes. or a litter picking bag or a little teddy, it then boosts the present even more and makes a kind of a theme about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So worldtribeheroes.com, we can come and we can find you and we can find all the books. And um, you must be just backwards and forwards from the post office all the time, are you? Do they, they know, know you very well in there, I would imagine? I, I'd love to turn the camera around. I've got so many boxes here ready to be posted out. And I've actually just recently managed to get the books into every primary school in Cornwall. Wow. About 40,000 children will all have the books. They've already got my other three. So this is the new two new ones. And I run a successful crowdfunding campaign. So I ask local businesses, I think it's 12 pounds for the school for the two books and postage and teaching resources. Mm. And so you put up a post on Facebook and all these businesses jumping in. Yeah, I'll sponsor wow. St Mary's or I'll sponsor St oh Whatever. what a gorgeous and, idea and then you you fund the whole of the, of the community and then off the back of that we're then planning a cornwall climate action day on the 11th of june which ties in with the g7 so then i've got eden project i've got the wildlife trust oh. i've got all these different organizations doing little mini kind of videos about climate change and what children could do and then all the schools will be using the books as inspiration to have this whole cornish wide climate action day and it'll be in secondary schools as well and I'm hoping as well to move that over into Devon if I can get around. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, oh God, yeah. you know, every county needs an Ellie, and then I, and then actually we can be that Ellie. Do you know? Yes. Like, so, oh, and God, it doesn't have you don't have to start county wide. Maybe you could crowdfund. Um, yeah, for your school to get a, a yeah. box of a box, a set of books, and you say there's some teaching resources and things that. Yeah, can there's come all with it. really detailed curriculum maps up there I spent wow. a lot of money I paid I mean I could have written them but not as good as this woman I've managed to get this national curriculum outdoor expert she writes books she's an author as well so I managed to get her to write all these fantastic resources um so it's really easy for teachers to use you don't need class sets of books or anything like that right. it's literally five books per school even one book would do yeah. my goodness you just started with Duffy and then see where it goes from there and but is that something is that like something we can get as a set on the website so if I were like I would really love to get that for my school can I come and and sort of access that or, or um, um I have to be careful not to undervalue yes absolutely yeah yeah problem. I'd love to do a bundle. I'd love to just say, right, here's the books. They're this much and just go for it. So yeah. it's a bit tricky. I do do a discount um, if they're buying lots of books for mm -hmm. the schools for the region. And the Lions Clubs in particular have been fantastic wow, supporting yeah. their local schools. So Lions Club will get in touch with me and say, right, we want 10 sets for our 10 local schools. Yeah. They'll go in and deliver it and set up. And then you get the local environmental group and the litter picking team and you, you ha have this community kind of action. So wow wouldn't it be amazing if you know even 10 percent of people listening to this today oh, were like oh yeah. well, you know i really want to get that Definitely. going in, in our local it would be, school it's 10 pounds for for one book there that's amazing. postage and and teaching resources so oh, that's amazing. enough to start a school down that track and then it leads into plastic free schools plastic free communities eco schools it starts yeah. to boost it's the inspiration for it all oh. so yes please anyone who'd like to get involved it doesn't have to be a whole big county-wide thing. If you just like your school or your couple of schools or your business, or if you know someone who might be able to, that would be amazing because it really frustrates me. I've seen teachers come back to me and say, these books are fantastic. I've never seen my children so engaged in wow. writing before. I know the, the benefit of them. It's just getting the message out there. It's hard for me with four children. To oh, do I can't, I'm, my mind is blown by, you know, not only are you writing these books and publishing them and organising the illustrators and, like, I, I couldn't I at Christmas I did a um you know if anybody wants a signed copy of my book uh, you know I, I bought some from the publisher and was like I, I mean I couldn't keep track of like 50 because I'm just so rubbish at spreadsheets and things like that so I don't even know how you how you manage that and then around uh, four kids and organizing a county-wide climate day and 
My God, Ellie, yeah. you're amazing. You should have seen me yesterday though, Jen. Don't worry, I lost track as well. I had, um, I've got 240 books to send out to 240 schools. I must have handled each envelope about 20 times, taking yeah. things out, putting things in, changing envelopes, repackaging it. I've just putting in alphabetical order, got completely lost with, it's been a nightmare of logistics. 16 hours I was down here yesterday. Oh my God. So yes, well, it is hard, it is hard. Thank you, you know, on behalf of everybody and children everywhere and the planet and stuff, oh, stop this it. amazing work. And you're just such a, you know, I, I get a lot of people saying to me, well, you know, one person can't make a difference. My God, Ellie, you are making a huge difference. Thanks, Jen, that's high praise from you. Thank you. No, you really are, thank you. ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old gray matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably do let me know what that is i love to hear about the changes that people are making big or small every single one counts if you've enjoyed the show and i hope you have do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.